Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Well, today's sermon text is from Matthew 5, 21 through 32. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Matthew 5 in your Bible. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, well, I I realize that the passages that that Sam read are pretty inspiring, right? They just make you all filled with warm fuzzies about life, right? Um, At least that's how I feel when I I read them. Uh, I, I think we have a tendency to look at these kind of passages and and uh, and look down on them pretty much. Uh, in fact, if we read the the works of the Apostle Paul in like Romans, uh, we hear Paul talking a lot like about the law and, and how Christ has come, uh, and, and the law isn't really something that's necessarily for us. And and I think we when we read Paul that way, we're we're reading him wrong and doing a little bit of disservice. Uh, we we ended last week talking about though that Jesus says at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which is what this is. Uh, that Jesus came not to abolish the law. Uh, he's not going to do away with it, but that he's come to fill it full, to fulfill it, right? I had that balloon, and I said, you know what a balloon is in its uninflated state, but you don't really know its total full nature. If there's something written on it, you don't like know what that is until it gets blown up. But that it's like that Christ has come, that the law that the, the Jews received from Moses, uh, you know, through Moses, it's like an uninflated balloon. And, and so uh, they have interpreted it and they've heard about it all their lives, but Christ comes to breathe his breath into the law to help us to understand it most fully. And so I, I hope uh, that as we go through today, and, and this is going to end, right? We're going to stop with the Sermon on the Mount. We might come and pick it up later sometime else, but because of the way Lent is, and uh, I couldn't preach like seven chapters, not seven chapters, but a whole bunch 
we'd lose you. It'd be too much. Uh, but so I hope that you'll hear this, um, what Jesus is saying today as not a word of like harshness. Uh, it's not an overly burdensome command, but I, but I hope that we will hear it today as something uh, that is full of grace and life for us. It will help us, in the end, continue to live as people who are the salt of the earth, people who flavor and preserve the world. That we might continue to live as people who are the light of the world, as Jesus said last week in early in the chapter. That we illuminate God's love and its work in the world. Now, we, we begin, and uh, so the whole title of this series has been, you've heard it said, and it, it's kind of unregretful. It's regretful that we only come to this phrase at the very end of the series. But he starts off this section, uh, and there's a whole bunch of little passages that are strung together that begin like this. You all have heard that it was said. Um, again, uh, and then he, he goes on, he'll, he'll add a commandment uh, that they were used to, and he says, but I say to you, a couple things need to be noted here. One, remember that, that this is plural. This whole passage is plural. That Jesus is not talking to us necessarily as individuals. We hear it that way. We have to hear it that way. But that Christ is talking to us as the body of Christ, as the church, as people who have decided to repent and follow after him in his footsteps. This is a word, not just to you as a person, but to us as the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. You all have heard that it was said. Now, um, like we said, from the time that Israel came up out of Egypt, um, they go to Mount Sinai, and they are sitting at the Mount of Sinai, and Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments. Uh, Israel is the people of God's law. Uh, these laws from the very beginning were intended to be, uh, they were intended to be structure for life for Israel. Things that were enabled, that, that tried to enable Israel to live the very best way that it could be. Uh, to live into the purpose and intention that God had for Israel. To be a people who, through them, the whole world would eventually be blessed. So the law, the law is good in its original intention. But along the way, people got a hold of it, right? And so Jesus, Jesus is saying, like, look, you've heard the law. From the very earliest ages, you were taught the law. If you were a Jewish male, you went to school at the very beginning to learn and memorize all of the law. And only if you were really good, you got to become a, a rabbi, right? Otherwise, you had to go and do whatever your dad did. But from the various earliest ages, you were taught to learn the law. But not only that, you not only learned the law, but you learned all of everybody else's interpretations about what the law had meant. And by the time Jesus comes around, it wasn't just the Ten Commandments. Uh, but the religious leaders of Israel had piled on like 400 and some other, I don't know how many, different numbers, different places. But lots and lots of other laws uh, that were more about being clean than they were about truly being the people that God had called Israel to be. So right away, Jesus is setting up kind of this contrast. He's like, you have heard that it was said once. You've heard the real law and then all of the interpretation law. says, but I say to you. Now immediately, uh, and if you could read the original language, which I can only have to, right? Because I admitted that couple weeks ago. Uh, but we would notice that, that the way the I is put in the original language, the way Jesus said it, 
is, is emphatic. In fact, it's meant to remind us of this particular event. Exodus three thirteen through 14, Moses at the burning bush. And he says, but Moses said to God, well, back up story. Moses is being talked to from God who's in this burning bush. It's burning, but not burning up. It's not being consumed. And God is calling Moses to go back to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, right? Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus shall you should say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. For Israel, God's name was in a, in a very way, kind of I am. In fact, the word that we get, end up getting Yahweh from, which is the Hebrew word for God, is it, <clears throat> basically kind of I am who I am, or I will be who I will be, uh, as it kind of comes across in the language. Jesus is saying, you have heard from the beginning of time the law of God. You've heard all of the interpretations of the law. But I, I, I am, I am, the I am, the same one who spoke the world into existence, the same one who called Abraham uh, to go to the promised land, the same one who called Moses from the burning bush to go and free the Israelites, the same one who goes on Mount Sinai to give the law, the same I am who brings Israel eventually into the promised land. The I am that has given Israel the law is now the very same one that is saying to them at this moment, this is what God really meant when he gave this law to you. Does that make sense? Jesus saying, I can interpret this law for you because, well, because I am God. It's kind of like the ultimate trump card, right? Uh, you, you, I win. You, I'm the only one that, that's good enough to interpret this. So we, we'll, have three, we'll have three things. Um, the, the commentator that I've been reading, uh, along with this prayer for this, my favorite one, um, has split up each command into three things. He, uh, he, Jesus offers us the original old command. Then he offers us a new command. It's not really a new command, but like kind of a, a new interpretation of that command. And then he will offer a step of faith or a step of obedience to help us to fulfill that command. So here we go. Jesus says, you have heard it said, but uh, you shall not murder. But I say to you, festering anger that causes us to lash out verbally or any other way, really, is just as bad as murder. Don't do it. Ah, right? Ah, that's all grimace. I feel that. I feel you. Yeah. Uh, so, here's, here's the passage. You ever said that it was said of, to people of old, you should not kill, and whoever kills will have to face judgment. But I say to you, whoever remains angry with a brother or a sister will have to face judgment. And whoever says to a brother or sister, you idiot, you will have to face the highest court. And whoever says, you jerk or fool, you will have to face the fire of hell. Okay. Now, before you get to feeling too bad about yourself, Okay, because who hasn't said, you idiot? You have, whatever. Uh, who hasn't at least thought, oh, you jerk, fool? I know I have, right? Uh, here, here's what I think. Well, it's not, not just what I think, but I think what the text tells us. 
look at, but, who I, but I say to you, whoever remains angry with a brother or sister. Now, the grammar of this is a, like it's a present participle. And it's not uh, whoever is angry, but it, whoever is, well, really it's like whoever is being angry. Whoever is remaining angry. And the image that I would give to you is, is that like, did you take this anger that might flash up in a moment at someone because they have wronged you in some kind of way and you hold on to it and you nurture it and you allow it to fester inside your soul and in your heart. Right? Now, I think, that whenever we do that with anger, like it, well, it causes us eventually to lash out in some kind of way. Right? I don't, you don't murder somebody unless you've been kind of festering some anger. Maybe at that person, maybe at somebody else. I don't know. I've never, I've never done that. Uh, It's it's the anger, because it's impossible, right? It's impossible not to get angry. In fact, I would go ahead and say, and we'll make this for the next case too, the anger is part of, like, it's part of our, it's it's how we're wired, right? And there are some forms of anger that it's good. When you see injustice in the world, when when you see a kid being picked on or abused. Like, it's right to be angry at that situation, and it might propel you to, to intervene to work for goodness and wholeness in the world, right? But when you, when you let it work inside of you, when you carry it inside, when you nurture it, when you feed it, you all know how you do that, right? Like, you just don't stop thinking about it. And you have these imaginary conversations in your head about like what you're going to say the next time you see that person. Right? Like if they're going to say this, I'm going to say this. And man, it's going to be so good. It's going to feel so good because I'm so angry right now. Right? That's, that's what Jesus is talking about here. We hold on to it into our, into our body. And it becomes part of us. And it corrupts us. And it causes us to lash out and to work against the wholeness and care for the other person. Now, we could get hung up on you idiot and you fool. I, I read different things. Some commentators thought that these were just kind of harmless words that were more like, uh, you know, blockhead or you donkey. I think this probably means something else, but that's what the commentary said because they didn't want to say whatever else. You know what I mean. Uh, but but I think I think it's important. While it's okay maybe to experience anger, it's okay to be angry. Like whenever we do not submit our anger to the lordship of Christ, whenever we don't give it immediately to God and say, "This is my anger. Help me to deal with it," we end up lashing out verbally or any other way at the people around us. You have heard that it was said of people of old, you shall not kill. But I am saying to you, do not hold on to the anger. Do not allow it to cause you to lash out at to other people because it's just as bad. Go forward. No, here's the step of obedience. And this is, this is I think, is, is kind of radical. 
Step of obedience. Go and be reconciled quickly with the one who has wronged you. Then come and back, back and offer your worship to God. I think we have a... Yeah, here we go. Here's the, here's the actual text. So when you are bringing your gift to the altar, there you remember that your brother or sister is anything at all against you. Leave your gift right there in front of the altar. Go first and get right with your brother or sister and then come back and offer your gift. Jesus is saying to us, this is how you are to deal with your, with your anger. This is how you are to deal with someone who has wronged you or you have wronged that other people. It is not first to come and worship. It is first to come and go and be reconciled with the person who has hurt you or the person that you have hurt. I think oftentimes we think of, well, I think we think that we need to come and be reconciled with God first, right? Because if I'm not right with God, I can't kind of get right with anybody else. And, and that, there may be some truth to that, but I think that Jesus is turning that on its head. I think Jesus is saying, look, you, you can't, you can't really be in right relationship with me until you have dealt with the broken relationships that you have with other people. Uh, Wednesday night, actually, we'll kind of talk about it. Go and deal with your anger. Try to be reconciled there. And then come and worship. Now, I will tell you, I don't want you to stop coming to church until you get all your broken relationships figured out, okay? Because you need us. I need you. I need you, and you need me. We need each other to work through that together. But I think what Jesus is, is stressing here is the importance of our relationships with other people and how those affect our relationship with God. If you are a nasty and mean human being, who is always angering someone else, you are never going to have a good relationship with God. If you are never forgiving of people who hurt you, you are just never going to have a good relationship with God. That seems to be what Jesus is saying here. Move forward. Old command, you shall not commit adultery. New command, do not look at another person in, what causes, in, in a way that causes them to be little more than an object in your sight. That'll make a little more sense in just a second. Here's what he says exactly. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that anyone who is looking at another person in order to lust after him or her has already committed adultery in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away from you. We'll get there too. In many ways, the saying about lust is a lot like our saying about anger. Anger is part of our emotions, right? It's just how it is. The feelings that give rise to lust are natural and God-given, right? It's part of what makes us human, that sexual nature that we have. It would be just like it's impossible to go through the world being angry. Like, it is impossible to go through the world and not notice the good-looking people in our world, right? Like, it's just impossible not to, to look around, to go out into the world and be like, well, that's a very beautiful person, right? 
Because like that drive is part of what helps us to fulfill the command to be fruitful and multiply. It's part of what God wants for us, to be co-creators with him in the world. But in the same way as anger needs to be kind of nurtured, held close to the chest, that, that lust is the same way. That in, in, in order for us to observe like something or someone, to lust after it, it has to be something that we hold close to ourselves, that we nurture it and we feed it until, until it causes us to look at another person, not as a person, but as an object. Like, I think that this commandment about lust, and really, lust is just an inordinate desire for something that we don't have. And Jesus relates it to sexuality here because that's a big thing for people. I think it applies to a lot of other things, like money or power or positions, authority, anything like that. When we lust after someone or something, those people cease to be in our eyes the beloved child of God that God has created them to be. I think I grew up thinking that this commandment was all about like my own personal purity like, better not let anything in. But I've come to believe this is more about the people I'm around than it is about me. It's more about me helping to see the people around me, not as, as objects that help me get what I want, that bring, my, bring me some kind of fulfillment, but that are children who are created in the image of God, whom God loves deeply, and faithfully in the same way that God loves me. Does that make sense? Yeah, adultery is one thing. Don't do that. But don't look at people as if they were just objects. As something that you might possess for your own gratification. Look at them as beloved children of God. So, step of obedience. Gouge your eye out. Cut your hand off. Maybe, not really, do the hard thing, whatever it takes for you to not act in this way. I think what Jesus means here, as much as I want to take all of the Sermon on the Mount kind of literally, uh, I don't want you, any of you to gouge your eye out. Okay? I don't want any of you to cut your hand off. But I think Jesus is maybe using a little bit of hyperbole here. Whatever your solution to the problem of lust might be, it needs to be decisive, maybe a little bit extreme, and it will probably hurt you in the short run. Right? But I think in the long run, we will we will continue to grow into the people that God has called us to do if we can if we can make that change. If we can can keep ourselves from looking at each other as more than just objects. Moving forward. Uh, Jesus says, You've heard it said, Moses commanded you to give you a certificate of divorce, but I say don't divorce except for unchastity. Here's what he says. 
It was also said, whoever divorces his wife should give her a written document of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife for any other reason other than sexual infidelity causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries divorced women commits adultery. I want to back up for a second, actually. One of the things that I wanted to say about lust, and it applies to this one as well, that I think in the church, whenever we talk about lust, it makes all of the men uncomfortable. Because I think somehow we've, we've understood that lust is only the problem for men because of the way we're wired. If, I'm, if, if, I, if the, the statistics that I have heard and seen uh, show that, that as many men who look at things like pornography, there are an equal number of women. And so I doubt that, that lust has ever been the sole property of the male gender. If it ever was, it's not anymore. So I just wanted to say that because I think it's important for us. Like women, you're not off the hook. Not that I want to be overly judgmental, but you know what I'm saying. Because right? there's grace in this. It's coming, I promise. And the same can be said for this, right? In Jesus' day, it was impossible for a woman to, to initiate a divorce. Right? That's not how it is today. So even though the language here is male-dominated, man, I don't want you to hear it's just directed at you. Okay, So here we go. Whoever divorces his wife should give her a document of divorce. So a little context is here. Moses, Israelite, come out of Exodus, and there was a problem. And men were just getting rid of their wives wholesale. Like, no reason. You did something... I didn't like, take a hike, right? And what that did was it left a woman uh, who was little more than property, kind of. It left a woman extremely vulnerable to all kinds of things within society. They, they immediately didn't have anybody to provide for them, and, and it just, it, it, it was bad for the woman in that case. And so God allows them to kind of do this whole divorce thing where a man could write a certificate of divorce and at least then that that woman could be remarried where she could have a husband to take care of her again. Uh, and if we read Matthew 19, we'll, we'll find out pretty easily that, that this divorce whole thing is, is not something that God intended from the very beginning. It wasn't God's intention. I think what, what Jesus is trying to communicate to us here in a full sense is that what is important for us is faithfulness. Now, this passage is, is wrapped in sexual infidelity, right? And, and while I think it speaks to that, like I think it also speaks to the million of other ways that we maybe are not faithful in our relationships. Uh, now, when you get married, you exchange vows, right? And you say things like, I take you in sickness and in health, um, and whatever else. I can't think of the things right now. I take them seriously, don't worry. <laughs> you, you make a whole bunch of promises. And, and sexual fidelity is part of that. But I think that, that what Christ is urging us to hear is to be faithful. And for those of you who are not married, like I think this passage speaks also to our friendships. 
Like the God's intention for us, God's intention for married people is, is that they would live in faithfulness to each other. I think God's intention for our friendships is that we would live in faithfulness to each other. Maybe even until death do us part. The little step of obedience is be faithful. Be faithful. I think it's the hardest thing in the world to do sometimes. Especially when when someone's angered us, right? And we take that anger and we nurture it. Here's where I think we, we need to look back a little bit. It is impossible. It's impossible for us to live as salt of the world or as the light of the world unless we have dealt with anger. Unless we have given that anger up to the Lordship of Christ, allowing him to help us to release it, to not nurture it. It's impossible for us to be the salt and the light of the world unless we deal with our lust for people and for things and for power. We cannot be the salt and light of the world if we only ever see people as objects to be used for our own good. We cannot be salt and light in the world if we are not people of faithfulness who says to us like God says to us, I will be with you and for you forever despite your level of faithfulness to me. Christ has said to us when we begin to follow him, you are the salt of the world. You are the light of the world. Now we can, we can read all of this and I think that, that it's really easy to get depressed because, man, I can get angry and I can nurse that baby forever. It's easy to let that be not a word of grace to us from Christ, but a word of, of you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough, right? But I think if we could back up a little bit farther, right? And we go to the Beatitudes and we hear Christ say to us before he ever issues any of these commands, Blessings on you who are poor in spirit. Who have, who have no chance of getting it right. Blessings on you who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Blessings on you who, who your relationships are a hot mess you want them to be right, but you just can't for whatever reason, and it is painful and hurtful. And in those moments, in those promises, God is giving his blessings to be with us and for us, even when we are not able to be to not be not angry and to nurture it. Even when we, we have let lust control us so that we only see the people around us as objects. God's offering this blessing and this grace for us even when we are not faithful to our neighbor in the way that we should be. God offers us this grace, this promise to be with us and for us always knowing that we are not going to get it right all of the time.
But in that promise to be with us and for us always is the promise to be with us and for us always. To give us the strength that we need to give the anger away. The strength that we need to view the people around us as beloved children of God. The strength that we need to live in faithfulness to our spouses, to our friends, maybe even to our enemies. This is God's promise to us. I want to give you a couple of things. I think maybe to help us deal with these things. So one, whenever you begin to be angry with someone or to lust after someone or maybe to be not faithful, pray this prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I've told you to pray this prayer before. I will tell you to pray it again. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I think this this prayer does three things. One, it reminds us that we are not God. Right? You are not God. And that we have no right to, to kind of judge or to hold power over anybody else. Second, it reminds us that we too are sinners, saved by grace, and that we are in constant need of God's mercy. The moment we begin to think that we are not in need of God's mercy is the moment we begin to lose control of everything. Third, it refocuses our attention on our relationship with the God who has saved us and now calls us to be salt and light, peacemakers in the world. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Two, make a list of people with whom you are angry. Begin to pray for their well-being. Pray that God might bless their life. Release that person to the hands of our loving and just God. Three, confess your anger to a trusted friend and ask them. You could do this with lust and faithfulness too. Ask them for you to pray for you and to check in with you as soon as you have taken steps to see if you've taken steps to be reconciled. Contact one of the persons on your list. Seek to be reconciled with them before the day is through. Four, avoid prolonged looks or thoughts about persons of the opposite sex or the same sex. Meet with a friend and create a decisive plan to deal with lust. And there's lots of online resources for that too. God has promised to be with us and for us always. If if we take God's love and his mercy and his faithfulness to us seriously, we will lean on that to overcome things like anger and lust and unfaithfulness. We're going to pray, and then we'll sing a song. As you do, I I, I encourage you to think about these things, about anger, about lust, and about unfaithfulness, and I don't know, have a conversation with God about what you need to deal with. Let's, Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this message, this, uh, the law, really, 
uh, that we need. We need you to help us to understand what the law is, to fill it full of grace. Help us not to get discouraged when we find that we aren't living the way you want us to be. Lord, help us to hold on to your grace and your mercy, your promise to be with us always, to be for us always, so that we may not go on in our anger or our lust or our unfaithfulness, but that we might be people who constantly and consistently love our neighbor as ourselves, so that we may love you with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.